You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at bethanynaz.org. Hey, let me shoot a word at you, okay? And um, you, you probably know the meaning of it, but it was a new word for me, thanatophobia. Is that a word that you're familiar with? Thanatophobia. Anybody know what it means? Just raising your hands all over the room. You know what thanatophobia means? Well, there's a clue in it, right? Because phobia obviously is a fear, so it's a fear of something. So thanatophobia is the fear of death. How many of you would say, when it comes to death, I would admit that there's a little fear involved in the whole death conversation. When I look at the future and death, really three of you have a little bit of fear when it comes... Okay, let's start all over. So how many of you would say, when it comes to death, that conversation, or me dying, there's a little bit of fear related to the whole death process? Okay, now, I think I would say the same thing. And, and so it manifests itself in a couple of ways. Some people say, I'm not afraid of actually being dead or where I'm going to go when I die, but I'm afraid of the process, like the suffering, the pain, or whatever it costs to get to the point we're actually dead. I, I sometimes I'm afraid of that. But then others would say, no, for me, it's more about when you're actually already deceased. What is it like when a person is dead? And some people have fears that say, I think I know where I'm going, but what if I don't know where I'm really going when I die? Death. It's a big deal. Twenty years ago, today, this city experienced the sting of death like it had never experienced before, and maybe, I pray, never will again. And so there's people in the room, you remember that day really well. Some of you weren't born on that day yet. We can replace buildings, right? But man, losing life, that's, that's different. So I want to ask you a question and see if you have the answer for it. Are you ready? Everybody ready? So where did we get death? Where did death come from? Why do we have death? Do you have a good answer to the question? If you go back to the book of Genesis, here's what happens. God says to Adam and Eve after He creates them, I have made you a garden. And He places them in the garden. You know what He says to them when He gets them in the garden? Enjoy! I made it for you. This is all about you. You can eat from any tree in the garden except, one exception for the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree because if you eat from that tree, you will surely... That's where we got it. Until then, the idea of death had never been considered. Until then... Nobody ever thought about death. Nobody even considered death would be a remote possibility. And so the serpent comes along and he tempts Eve, and Eve eats some of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then she gives some to Adam, and he eats some, and life changes. And the curse has come to the serpent, then to the woman, and then to the man. God says, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food. 
until you return to the ground since it was from the ground that you were taken. And God just said, there's going to come a day, Adam, when you die. So, I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to react to it in your mind, okay? And I guess I'm really wanting to see if you agree with me, all right? You ready? Here's the statement. The greatest blow of sin and the fall is death. You agree or disagree? The greatest blow that sin has ever delivered is death. So you might be asking, Rick, are you talking about spiritual death or are you talking about physical death? Absolutely. Because I want to make a statement, and you may not think it's profound, but I think it's important. And here's the statement. Death is death. So spiritual death, if you eat of the tree, you will certainly die. Life as you know it will not be the same ever again. In your relationship with me and in your relationship with this garden, everything will change. And then God says, you will return to the ground because you were taken from the ground. It's all death. So, I have a statement to make before we get to the passage of Scripture this morning that I love making. And here's the statement. You ready? In light of all that we've said about death, here's some really good stuff. Jesus has power even over death. And He demonstrates it. (laughs) Like, in no other way, in His own resurrection... And He calls us to this resurrected life with Him. So, grab a Bible, would you? Everybody grab a Bible. Let's go to John chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Chapter 11, and I'm going to start reading with verse 38, okay? John 11, verse 38. Now, we've been in the story for three weeks, but let me just recap in case somebody has missed. Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan. He gets word that He has a friend who's named Lazarus who is sick. Lazarus has a sister named Mary and a sister named Martha. They are very close friends with Jesus. They don't even ask Him to come. They just say, tell Him that the one He loves is sick. I think they assumed He would come running. What's interesting to us is that Jesus does not come running. In fact, He doesn't come for two days. In fact, we don't think He does anything for two days. even tells the disciples that Lazarus is sick. When he finally gets to Bethany, Lazarus is already dead and has been in the tomb for four days. Martha comes out and says to Jesus, you know, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, Martha, your brother is going to live again. She says, I know, way out there, somewhere in the resurrection, you know, he's going to live again. Jesus says, no, Martha, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. God has brought his future into your now. Life is available now. Well, she runs and gets her sister Mary and says, the teacher is here. He wants to see you. Because Jesus always calls us to come to Him when we are suffering and we are in pain and sorrow. And so Jesus says, take me to where you've laid Him. And she does. And Jesus weeps with her. You know what? Sometimes when you're hurting, 
when you're going through really hard days, Jesus weeps with you. So this brings us to verse 38. You ready? Here we go. So Jesus once more deeply moved. John is saying that Jesus was deeply moved earlier and he cried. When he gets to the tomb, he's deeply moved again, okay? Because that's what God is like. God hurts with us. God cries with us. Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. So in unison, let's read the words of Jesus together today, okay? Read these four words with me. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor because he has been there for four days. I mean, this is awkward. He's in Palestine. After two days, a body starts to decompose. Jesus, please don't roll the stone away. That's my brother in there, okay? This is, this is really uncomfortable. We don't know how to deal with death. We really don't know how to deal with the decomposing body. Then Jesus said, in unison, you ready? Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Ready? Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Okay, that was kind of weak, I'll be honest with you. So we'll start all over and do it again. And when we get to the words, loud voice, I think that's descriptive in how we read those words of Jesus together. You ready? Okay, we're reading all the words of Jesus. Here we go. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Oh, that was nice. That might have been better than first service. I'm not sure. I, I love these words of John right here. I love the way he says it. The dead man came out. <laughs> Just give us the nuts and bolts of the story. So John says, The dead man came out, except he wasn't dead, of course. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And you're ready for the final one. Then Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is God's word for us today. We had a lady who attended our church several years ago. She was very nice, very sweet. She prayed for her husband all the time. He did not attend a church and did not profess to be Christian. He, he did not see the Bible as the authority for his life or truth. And so he had a lot of interesting beliefs. And he liked to talk about them. And I remember my first time to ever really sit down and have a conversation with him was interesting. He just talked on and on about everything that he believed. And he seemed to enjoy hearing himself talk. I don't think I enjoyed it nearly as much as he was enjoying it. And finally, I just kind of say to him as he is going on and on, I said, well, let me ask you a question. What happens when you die? And when I said it, this big grin burst onto his face and he goes, you're dead. And I said, that's it? And he said, that's it. I said, so when you die, you die, 
and everything is over with. He said, that's it. So, so there, is, there is a thought out there, a belief, that life is hard and then you die. And it's over. I've heard other renditions of that saying, by the way. Yeah, there's some good times, but mainly, life is just kind of hard. And then you die. Well, I don't, I don't like that narrative. I, I don't want to participate in that narrative. I don't want anything to do with that narrative. Nor do I believe that narrative. Because two weeks ago when I read you the beginning of the story, I read you verse 25 where Jesus says, The one who believes in me, even though they die, they will live. Wait a minute. You die, but you're not dead? Right. <laughs> you die, but you're still alive? Exactly. And what Jesus is saying is that death does not have the final word. Death does not mean the end. So even though somebody dies, there is like lots of hope. Yes. So what does it look like in our everyday life? Well, we do this often here. We have funerals. And so often the funeral is here at the church or it's at a funeral home nearby. And after the service is over, we all go out the door and we load the casket into a hearse and we follow it to a cemetery. We get out of the car at the cemetery and the family all goes over and there's usually a little tent set up and everybody's under the tent. And if I'm the pastor, I will do a very brief service at the graveside. And then the funeral director makes a brief announcement and the people kind of say their last words of whatever to their loved one and they get back in their cars and leave. But there's something we don't say. You know what we don't say? We don't say goodbye. And so I tried to remember this week about people that I've listened to as they, as they spoke their last words on this earth to the person that they love so much that is now deceased. And I think about especially older men burying their wives that they loved and lived with for sometimes 50 years or more. Or women who buried their husbands or moms and dads who buried their kids. And I've heard them say things like, I'll be there in a little while. Or be sure to wait for me by the gate or I won't be long behind you why do we say stuff like that because because we believe with everything in us that the person who just died is still alive we believe the words of Jesus even though they die they will live 
And we believe with everything inside of us that even though that person just died, they are still very much alive. And what it is in that casket is their remains. Paul calls it this earthly tent that we live in that was never going to last forever. Yeah, that's gone. But no, no, no. The essence of who they are, their heart, their soul, their spirit, their essence of their being is very much alive and is with the Lord. There's another side of this too. And, and that is this. When a mom or dad comes to me and says, Pastor, we don't know what to do. We have cried and we have prayed and we have worried ourselves sick and we have laid in bed at night with our eyes wide open. We have begged and we have pleaded. And our son or our daughter is so far from God. I never look into the eyes of those parents and say, Well, now, there is no hope, is there? I pray a prayer of faith because I believe that that boy or that girl is going to live. That Jesus himself is going to raise them to life. I I don't think I have any ability in helping you feel the impact of what happened in this story. And the only way that maybe it could have that kind of impact for you is if you think about somebody that you love a great deal that had died, has passed away, and and you remember what it was like at the service, you know. When Jesus says, roll away the stone, it, it would be more like for us, after someone has been buried for a while, saying, let's exhume the body. No, we're not going to do that. We're not going to disturb, okay? I mean, that's what it would feel like because in that world, Palestine, a very warm climate, decomposition of the body is going to happen within a couple of... No, Jesus, you can't do this. When I was in South America, we were driving down the road and the missionary says to me, Hey, Rick, look over there. You know what that is? And I look up and there's just acres and acres of these little bitty buildings. That's a cemetery. Little buildings, some of them were maybe no larger than 8 feet by 8 feet, maybe some 10 by 10. They were beautiful little two-sided roofs, but I mean setting very close together. You could barely walk between the little buildings. That would be all you could do is just walk between them. And they said when you walk in the door of one of those little buildings, okay, there are three caskets maybe on this side and three on this side and only enough room to walk in the middle. That's it. Some of them are bigger. They might have more. There is a key that locks the door to the little house and the family holds the key. See, that's how they bury their dead here. Everybody is above ground. And I remember just looking at those little houses. There were thousands of them. Acre after acre after acre. It was just amazing to me. Well, we don't, we don't do that. We dig holes. We do have mausoleums, but it's not as popular. We, we dig a hole in the ground, six feet deep. We put the coffin in the ground, we put a vault over the coffin, and then we fill it back with dirt, and that's where the remains of our loved ones are. Sometimes we do cremation, and we take the ashes, and we save them, or we put them in a very special place. Or we scatter them. Not in Jesus' day. You know what they did? They found a cave. In that part of the world, they were plentiful. They would take the body, prepare it for burial, but not embalming like we do. Take the body inside the cave, 
Then they would take a stone and roll it over the entrance of the cave to seal it. And so Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha says, please don't do that. That's my brother. I I don't want to read too much into this, okay? So I'm going to only read a little bit into it, all right? But I think when Jesus says to us, take me to your place of pain, Take me to your place of suffering, disappointment, sadness, hurt. I think we tend to want to say, Jesus, I don't want to, I don't want to uncover that. It, it's not pretty. Jesus, you really don't want to uncover this, okay? I mean, it is... This is not a pretty sight, what I live with. So I don't think I read too much in just to say that. But I think it's true. Did I not tell you, Martha, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then I get confused because she had to believe in order to see the glory of God. But then, after Lazarus was raised from the dead... And they saw the glory of God. A lot of people believe because they did see it. So which comes first? And then they roll the stone away. Wow. I don't know how many people it takes to roll a stone away, but some pretty husky guys get up there and they start moving this stone out from the entrance of the tomb. And then Jesus says, Lazarus! Well, actually, before he says that, he says, I'm glad that you heard me pray. And scholars say, well, scratch our heads. When did we remember Jesus praying? And they think that maybe it was back when he was on the other side of the Jordan, those two days. Maybe he prayed. And, and maybe he was praying for Lazarus to be raised to life after a couple of days. Who knows? Lazarus, come out. I would have been getting out of there, man. And, and the church I pastored in Cincinnati, we had this play that they did every year. And they did it for, I think, almost 30 years. It was an Easter play. Kind of told the life of Christ, takes you up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so I remember hearing about a play you guys did here for years when they were so popular. And the front of the church there was decorated. I mean, from that corner over there to that corner was all a stage. In fact, the whole room was a stage at times. And one of the scenes in the play was Lazarus being raised from the dead. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And when the guy comes walking out, kind of wrapped like a mummy, man, what made it powerful was the crowd on the platform. I mean, they were like, I mean, it it was awesome. They took off like they were scared to death and then stopped in amazement. And I think that's what happened. It was the, the joy and amazement all at once. I'm scared to death. The dead man's walking, but... Wow, a dead man's walking. You know what happened, don't you? Jesus prayed, and a dead man walked.
Who has the faith to pray a prayer like that? Jesus. And he demonstrates God's power over death. So what kind of death are you talking about? Spiritual death or physical death? Exactly. That's right. I got to go to Paraguay last week. I got home Friday. To the country of Paraguay. Only they pronounce it Paraguay. I didn't meet anybody in Paraguay that speaks English hardly. Everybody speaks Spanish. Do you remember missionaries that we had here in January named Barry and Charlie Carney? Went to see them. God really put it in my heart. Maybe we could help these guys. They're doing incredible stuff. I've never been so impressed, so amazed with what these missionaries have done in three years that they've been in Paraguay. It's overwhelming. It's mind-blowing. God is doing amazing things through them. And so I've been thinking, maybe we could help them some. we got lots going in missions. But maybe we could at least take a team over and support them. And so we're trying to put that together somewhere, maybe even this year. So if you speak Spanish or you just have a desire to be a part of something like that, you should let me know. So anyway, I go over and I'm with them. And they introduce me to a guy whose name is Eber. Cabba. Yero, I think, is the way you pronounce it. And Eber, Eber rather, is a professional soccer player on the number one team in Paraguay. It's called Olympia. And he's been playing professional soccer for a few years now. He, he married a girl named Lillian, who is a well-known, she's 30 now, but then she was a well-known model in Paraguay. So they're kind of like a celebrity couple in that country. But they had this passion to share Jesus with people. And Eber says, behind every soccer ball in Paraguay, there's a child. And behind every child, there's a family. And I want to reach that family for Jesus through that soccer ball. That's the way he thinks. Here's his picture. We were at lunch one day, and I took a picture. That's he and Lillian. And those are Sprite bottles in front of them. Photography has never been really my forte. I just said, lean in, let me take your picture. And I have others, but not any others with Sprite bottles. And so while we're sitting at that table eating lunch, I was just overwhelmed with his passion for the soccer complex where he's going to reach people for Christ. And I just said, Eber, tell me how you came to know the Lord. And so he says... I was playing professional soccer, and I'd met Lillian, and she was a model, and there's just no better life in Paraguay than the life I was living. Every child wants to play professional soccer. And so I got to do what everybody wanted to do. But he said, I was creating problems for myself because of my lifestyle. And I had lots of money that I was making, especially when I was younger, but I was burning through it like crazy. And there's a guy who was a pastor who lived beside my mother. And I was at my mom's one day and I was talking to him. And he had always been nice to our family. And, and I was telling him about all of my problems and all of my frustrations and struggles. And he starts talking to me about Jesus. And finally, he encourages me to pray this prayer with him to accept Christ. 
because I wanted to be kind to him and I didn't want to hurt his feelings, I prayed the prayer, but I didn't mean it at all. And nothing really happened in my life because I didn't mean it when I prayed it. But I thought a lot about it. And I thought about him and what he had said to me. And so finally one day I got back to him. And my problems were overwhelming. I should have had a great life, but my life was not great in my mind. And I said to him, when I prayed the prayer with you before, I didn't mean it. But I want to pray the prayer now. And so he says, I prayed this prayer to ask Jesus into my life. He said, I called Lillian immediately. I got on the phone. I said, Lillian, Jesus is in my life. Our life is going to get better. (laughs) She said to me, I thought he was loco. What is he talking about? But when I saw him, when he came home and I saw him, I realized his life is different. And I wanted my life to be different like his life was. And so we found the pastor and I prayed to accept Christ. And they said, our lives changed. He said, my greatest problem in my life was my mother. She hated my wife. She tried to do everything she could to break us up. For eight years, I prayed for my mother. Eight years. He said, after eight years, my mother became a Christian. And now, her and Lillian are closer friends than me and my mom are. We, we, we prayed together at one point, And in a lot of Latin cultures, when you pray, it's not like one person prays and everybody listens closely. Like when you say, let's pray, everybody just busts out praying out loud. And I hate to admit that I was peeking, but I peeked a little bit. Because I heard them praying. And I looked up. And I was moved. With the fervency in which they prayed and the urgency in which they prayed. It made me think to myself... Why don't you pray like they pray? I mean, these are people who are living life. Because Jesus has power over death. You know, you can be physically alive and never be alive, right? Just because your heart's beating doesn't mean you're full of life. But they are full of life. So what do you do with this? I think if you're a believer, I think you you find yourself a place to just say, God, thank you so much for this life you've given me. And for the fact that when I take the person I love to the cemetery and we bury them, that I know that they are still alive. And one day, we're going to get to be together again. I think you just, you just live with a heart filled with gratitude. And I think if you're not a believer, you say, what if I did what all of these people did in the next verse? What if I put my faith in Jesus for life? What if I put my faith in Him and I lived and I lived and I lived life? And even after I died, I was still alive. This is resurrection. So let's stand together.
Would you like to sing before we go? And would you like to pray before we go? I love the idea of saying let's sing together and let's pray together before we go. If you need life, there's life here. So in our church we have these altars and we always invite people to come here and pray. Truth is you don't have to come here and pray, obviously. You can pray anywhere. God hears you pray, right? But it's a good place to pray. Okay, it's a great place to pray. There's pastors here to pray with you, and sometimes friends come and pray with you. I don't know. I think it's awesome to come here to pray. If you want to be prayed for for healing, there'll be pastors who will anoint you and pray for you. If you want to come and just give lots of thanks, (laughs) it's a good thing to do. If you want to pray for somebody else that you love to have life, that's a good reason to pray. I think what I'm just trying to say is the altar is a great place to come. So last Sunday, I was leaving this service. And I'm right here. And this young couple comes to me. And they said to me, Pastor, last Sunday when you invited people to come and pray, we came. We wanted to tell you. And here's the language they used. It's like water over a desert. And this week, our lives have been different. Our marriage has been different. I'm I'm trying to tell you, Jesus is about life. He is about raising us to life with Him. And so there is life here for you. Let's sing. Let's pray.
Feel free to join a friend at the altar if you like, um, or you still have an opportunity to come. Uh, we're going to celebrate this a little longer, and Kyle's going to lead us as we worship. Um, you're free to go whenever you're ready. You're free to linger if you like and worship. God bless you. When you leave this place today, leave celebrating the life that Jesus has raised us to. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.